This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Do you drive a vehicle? Then you'll find AutoCorrect helpful, especially on Coach Charlie's Tip of the Week. Listen to our podcast with me, Coach Charlie Melton, on any podcasting platform or on the MPB Public Media app. From MPB Think Radio, this is Deep South Dining, the show all about the culture of Southern flavor and the folks that love to stir the pot. Good morning, Malcolm White with Carol Palmer. We will be your host this morning. Hey, and with just a few days away from Thanksgiving festivities, we will share a few last-minute tips, dive into a Craig Claiborne Thanksgiving story, and share a conversation with Francis Lamb, the host of Splendid Table and Turkey Confidential, which airs here on MPB Thanksgiving morning at 9 a.m. Yeah, good morning. It's Deep South Dining right here on MPB Think Radio. I love to eat turkey because it's good. Because it tastes good. It is. How are you, Carol? Oh, Mal, I'm great. We missed you last week, but boy, did we have some fun. Yeah, I just wanted to say that I listened. I streamed the show on my phone from Boonville, Mississippi, and you guys did a great job. It was a fabulous show, and... uh, and, and we appreciate, uh, as always, the uh, Lebanese breeze, Joe Sherman, for sitting in and doing a tremendous job. So, Joe, we appreciate you, and uh, thanks a lot, and happy Thanksgiving. Well, I want to thank you, too, because you were up in North Mississippi uh, amongst your people and our people spreading the gospel of cooking. So I was. kind of clue me in on what, what was going on. Well, I went up there to do a presentation to the Culinary and Hospitality students at Northeast. And uh, I did a presentation that I have created for the Mississippi Humanities Council's Speakers Bureau. It's called Foodways in Mississippi. And I present it from time to time. So I presented it to this group of kids. And then we talked about careers in food, restaurant, uh, hospitality. And I got to meet uh, my new uh, scholarship recipient. Uh, We have a scholarship at Northeast for my Harold T. Jane and Hal White scholarship, and each year we have a student that receives a scholarship. So I was able to meet my new scholarship, have my photo taken, um, and uh, to do this presentation. And I also took a, a painting that had somehow ended up in my collection that was gifted to Northeast, so I was able to take it back and present it to the president, uh, Ricky Ford, at Northeast. So it was a great 24 hours. Had a meal with two of my best friends uh, from that part of the world, Bill Barnett um, and, and Barbara Shackelford, and we, we just had a good time. And then I got in the car and drove home. But y'all did a great job. Well, thanks. I want to uh, shout out to Kara, who just yesterday cooked a splendid pot of potato and leek soup, one of my favorites. That's how we know it's fall. When the air gets cool and we start to make soups at our house, she also made a banana pudding, one of my favorite desserts. Well, I would love to get an invitation the next time the potato and leek soup comes around. I've got some for you. I didn't bring it, but it's in my – I've put aside a special container for you and John. 
excellent, so, excellent, so excellent. Well, I've been preparing for my people's coming. <laughs> 27 at the table, 21 staying on blow-up mattresses, uh, wherever around the property they're coming in uh, oh as we speak from from all over. It's like uh, making a battle plan. I can Where imagine. and when do you feed these people? I made... A vat of venison chili for when, yeah, for Wednesday night. Very good thinking. I've got spinach madeleine, sweet potato casserole, Tim Pierce's mom's cornbread dressing, and cheese grits for Friday and Saturday mornings in the freezer. Hmm. So I have one more dressing to do, which I'm going to do Lucy Buffett's oyster dressing. That's Jimmy Buffett's sister. Yes, sister Lucy, Mm -hmm. who owns. Um, several great restaurants. Anyway, John has not turned his nose up. Every year I've made a fabulous oyster dressing, which he requested. Right. Slaved over these things. I mean, John Foltz's dressing, Ruth Fertel from Ruth Chris Steakhouse, and he wants what was on their table in Corinth, which was, he said, just traditional dressing with a lot of oysters in it. So uh-huh. I'm making a cornbread dressing this time with lots of oysters and see if that works well you know one thing that i've started doing that's different i love oyster dressing and i have made it for years um but because kara is not that crazy about it i have taken to making crab meat dressing instead of oysters i add a pound of lump crab meat in the dressing gosh that sounds and it, delicious and it's like a deviled or stuffed crab dressing if you would Oh, that sounds delicious. And nobody turns their nose up nobody at crab meat. Nobody does, does nobody. that. And what I figured about this Corinth dressing was that uh, oysters were very exotic in Corinth That's in the true. late 40s that is and, true. and 50s. So I think what they did was just took the regular dressing, right. cornbread dressing, and stuck oysters poke, down in half of them it. them down in there. Half of mm-hmm. it. So you could have either or. So I will report Back. Report out. Absolutely. So uh, as we approach Thanksgiving, I always turn my attention uh, to a traditional meal that I once cooked in its entirety, uh, prepared by uh, the remarkable Craig Claiborne and published in his Craig Claiborne's favorite New York Times book. I think he did a whole series of these Craig Claiborne favorites. This is from the first book. Uh, I believe it was published in 1975. Uh, now, it is widely accepted that there are three people who have impacted and changed the way that Americans eat. One of them is the great James Beard from New York that all of the awards are now named for. And you've been to James Beard's home, and you've been in, involved in the James Beard Awards. You know a lot about that. Yes. And then the other person who has had significant influence upon the way that we eat is the great Julia Child, the French chef. Agreed. She was the first celebrity chef, the first TV chef, and the first American to go to France and bring back French cooking to us and published it in the now classic cookbook of hers. I forget the name, but it's the French... The French chef. French chef. And the third person who has impacted the way Americans eat is our very own Craig Claiborne from Sunflower County. Indianola, Mississippi. That is right. So in this uh, book, in this recipe, in this meal that we're going to share, 
this com- this book was broken into months. So uh, the month of November 1974 is the title from this particular passage, and it reads, in, the small, in a small town in Mississippi where I grew up, the menu served in our home at Thanksgiving was not something we discussed with the neighbors. It was not invariable, but it was often enough that we celebrated the holidays with a large kettle of spaghetti. None of the children in the family relished roast turkey. Somehow it was seemed to us as ordinary. We lived in a boarding house, which our mom ran, and the turkey being plentiful and cheap, it appeared numerous times during the year. At Thanksgiving time, the boarders would depart to visit Ken, and we were left alone to indulge ourselves in spaghetti. Nostalgia plays funny tricks on adults. In retrospect, we remember those meals of roast turkey, cornbread stuffing with considerable affection. It has now become our traditional Thanksgiving fare. The cornbread stuffing in this book is the same stuffing our mother served us. And though we know it is a throwback to childhood, we still maintain that to our palates, no stuffing has ever tasted so good. And so that is Craig's setup for November of 1974. And then he goes on in the book to actually set forth the entire meal, the Thanksgiving meal. And Carol is going to share with us that meal. And his traditional Thanksgiving is with his great friend, the French chef, Pierre Franey. And he begins by saying, if there is one menu that most Americans tend, and with reason, to be sentimental about, it is that for thanks. It is that for Thanksgiving. We know of homes where that particular holiday's menu has remained more or less stable for the past quarter century. On these pages, we offer a Thanksgiving menu based partly on a long-remembered Southern recipe roast turkey filled with cornbread stuffing, plus a few trimmings of European inspiration. These include Brussels sprouts and cream, Mm -hmm. braised red cabbage with chestnuts, and gratinade potatoes. A slight departure from tradition, this menu may be yet another reason for giving thanks. And the actual menu, as he just mentioned, the roast turkey with the cornbread stuffing. And he does use a giblet gravy because he's from Sunflower (laughs) County. Uh, The gratinade potatoes with Gruyere cheese, I would think, are maybe Pierre's contribution. The European. Because this particular potato comes from the Grenoble region. Uh, it uses Gruyere cheese and heavy cream. And then the bus- Brussels sprouts and cream, it's not something I would I would think of, but I tasted yours and they were absolutely delicious. And then buttered whole chestnuts. How about that? Now, how would we do that? Chestnuts roasting yes. on a buttered fire. And uh, the, I guess he, then he used the chestnuts with braised red cabbage with the chestnuts as, as a side. 
but it sounds like an absolutely delicious menu. And hats off to you for doing doing the whole thing. There was that time, I think it was around 2004 or three or somewhere in there, that I cooked that entire menu and served it to a group of friends. Not 21, as you are serving. Right. But no, 27, 27 serving. People. That's just sleeping. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> And, you know, <clears throat> we talk a lot about the difference between stuffing and dressing here. Yeah. And, and if you look it up in Webster's or online, it will simply say that the difference is that dressing placed inside the cavity of the turkey or the chicken becomes stuffing. And what the taste difference are is that, is that the uh, dressing is a side dish mm-hmm. and the stuffing is put inside of the turkey itself, and receives many of the juices and flavors of the turkey. Now, we could argue about this endlessly, as we love to do. As we do, and and uh, this is just a wonderful salute to Craig Claiborne, a great memory. And uh, he did change the world of food for many years as the New York Times food editor and restaurant critic. Absolutely. Splendid table heard on Sunday mornings here on MPB Think Radio. And they are in the process of programming their annual Thanksgiving show known as Turkey Confidential. Carol, would you do the honors? Well, you know, what a big Francis Lamb fan and Turkey Confidential fan I am. Uh, Francis is the host of The Splendid Table, as you said, Malcolm. And they're produced by American Public Media and heard on MPB every Sunday morning. Um, he was a regular contributor before becoming the host. So, you know, Francis has a lot of history with Splendid Table. And, Francis, I mean, we absolutely love the show. We we really do. And I know this is really uh, – you also are vice president and executive editor-in-chief or editor-in-chief at Clarkson Potter. Is that correct? Yeah, and thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you so much for all your support, and thank you for having me here. And Clarkson Potter is one of the leading cookbook publishers, so we're hoping that we can sneak in a few questions about your favorite cookbooks of the season. Oh, the list. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, you can't ask that. That's, that's your, <laughs> who's your favorite child kind of question. <laughs> exactly. But uh, when when we first met Francis, it was at the Southern Foodways Alliance in Oxford, Mississippi, and among his many credentials, uh, Francis is past president of the Southern Foodways Alliance, and when we first met you, Francis, you were actually writing food for the Financial Times. It was... That was a long time ago. Uh, it was a long, yeah, it was a that very well. long, it was a long time meeting ago. You, meeting you in Oxford, um, yeah, that was a, that was a solid... Oh Lord, how long ago was that? I have <laughs> Not no quite idea. 20, but more than more than fifteen, yeah, right? Yeah, and and I met you on your first Southern Foodways, and I thought, wow, cool. The Financial Times is interested in foodways. <laughs> well, the SFA has long been, you know, certainly about food. Food is right there in the name, but I've always been really drawn to it because. The stories they tell and the stories they gather, really, because they do so much oral history work. It's not even so much the stories they're trying to tell um, necessarily, but the films they make, the programs they put on, the events they do. I think has always really been about showing the life and the culture of the South um, and really of our larger American story in in a nuanced 
way and a complex way and really a, a really beautiful way. So food is absolutely at the core of it, but really it's just as much about how, you know, how we see ourselves in our lives. Mm. And before we dig into, uh, the details of Turkey Confidential, we'd like to sure. explore a little bit uh, with you about your time in Mississippi. I know that you were on the coast in post-Katrina, and mm-hmm. you uh, met your wife-to-be there, I think, is mm-hmm. the folklore. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> That's what legend, legend has it. Legend has it that you uh, didn't marry a Mississippi girl, but y'all – became acquainted in Biloxi in your post-Katrina work. And I I think I met you uh, and your wife during that period because in 2005, like two months after Katrina, I took the job as the Mississippi Arts Commission director. And we came down to uh, Biloxi Gulfport to explore some grant opportunities with the Gulf Coast Community Design Studio. And I met with a group, and we explored and looked at the work that y'all were doing down there. And uh, we were trying to drive some grant money toward the coast, specifically toward North Gulfport uh, and the Turkey Creek area. But anyway, please uh, tell us about your time in Mississippi and how that all connects to where you are in your life now. Sure. Well, it was as you described, Malcolm. You know, I was there after the storm. I think I first set foot there about six months after the storm. And, you know, I, I think many of your listeners will remember that time with a with a real mixture of emotions. Um, it was obviously, a, a you know, just a, a historical um, disaster. But I think also what you can say of that was there were so many ways where you could see a community pulling together, a community really coming together to help itself to help their own and and to help each other and i was so inspired by that at the time i was writing about food you know as a as a freelance food writer uh uh, carol as you you kind of mentioned but um my day job at the time was also i was working as a um i was working with different nonprofit organizations mostly here in new york city where i live doing grant writing and and things like that and you know, helping helping folks like sort of figure out some of their organizational structures and things like that, and and we had got introduced to a local community organization in Biloxi in the neighborhood of East Biloxi in particular that was really you know self organized grassroots and it was just folks helping each other out and um, at that time there was so much um, you know thankfully so much um, aid coming in volunteers resources food you know, water, things like that. And, and they had come together really to help direct some of that stuff. Cause you, you know, unless you've been in a disaster zone, it's hard to picture and it's hard to picture just the chaos mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. literally having someone say, Oh, you know, Mrs. So-and-so on this block needs water right now. Right. You know, let's get that to her right now. You know, like having someone help direct that was important. And so there, there, there grew this very organic community um, response to the storm. And so I got to come in and, and, and just do a little, you know, whatever I could, but I did also meet, um, the woman who would become my wife in that, in that time too, who was, who, who had moved there and was working there more permanently than I was. I ended up spending about three years off and on living mm-hmm. there about half time, um, two, two, two to three years. Um, cause I would come home to New York and, and then go down there for several months or several weeks at a time. 
But yeah, I, I, I really fell in love with that community and really fell in love with just the spirit of community was there. And while I was there, speaking of the Southern Foodways Alliance, I had the chance to do a number of oral histories with um, folks who had, who had, you know, either themselves or their families had been really involved in the Biloxi seafood industry, which, you know, as we know, is is really one of the sort of iconic industries of the state and really of our country in terms of um, the history of the seafood industry in our in our nation. Um, so talked with shrimpers and talked with um, folks whose families had owned processing plants and all that stuff and, and gathered those oral histories for the SFA. And, you know, it was just another way for me to, to, to feel um, a little more connected to that part of the world. A heartfelt thanks from both Malcolm and me, and I know from many of our listeners, for your work down there. Malcolm had a home in Bay St. Louis that Mm. received eight feet of the bottom of the Bay of St. Louis. The mud was caked so thick on it. It was was just unbelievable. And then my family home was in past Christian, and the only Mm -hmm. thing left of our home, which was over 100 years old, were the front steps. So we know Mm. of what you speak, and we are so grateful for you and all the thousands of volunteers who came to help us in our time of need, and many of them have stayed Mm -hmm. and contributed in just wonderful ways to to the life of our state. Now, Francis, Mm -hmm. one of the uh, first restaurants to reopen in Biloxi after the storm has become quite an icon there and that's La Bakery who serves the yeah. the great bon mi sandwiches and uh, what a fabulous I hope you had that opportunity to get to know them oh I, you know as you said it was one of the first and for a long time one of the few I remember when I landed in Biloxi again this was you know six months after the storm there were literally four places I knew of that you could trade money for food and that was one of them the other was the cafeteria in the hospital uh the third was a classic old creole restaurant um um and the fourth was you know someone had told me if you go to i forget the name of the apartment complex but you know apartment 6b this one apartment <laughs> you knock on the door there was a lady there who was making uh, who was making food that you could buy you know lunch boxes out of but yeah la bakery is um Really, really wonderful, um, and and really, I think a great symbol of that community. Obviously, there's a a, a thriving Vietnamese mm-hmm. uh, American community there, and I remember, I remember Sue, the owner, once said to me, "She's like, you know, after the storm, we were no longer the Vietnamese bakery in Oak Street. We were just the bakery, uh, right? On Oak Street. You know, it just became the place where folks would go get bread again. You know, a little taste of normalcy." Yeah. Um, no, I, th- I thought that was really moving. Well, they're still – they are thriving. And That's terrific. And have been such leaders in that community. All right. Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about the Turkey Confidential. Now, how many years yeah. has this been going on, Francis? You know, that's a really good question. I wish I knew the answer to it. <laughs> so explain <laughs> to our I, listeners I, I, what is Turkey Confidential. Yeah, absolutely. This is our annual Thanksgiving Day broadcast. It is at least – 15 years old if not 20 or maybe even more i i, I don't I, again like i should have done my my uh my homework um i have hosted it now i think this will be my seventh year and this is our thanksgiving day broadcast where um 
folks call you know thanksgiving day is a day of merriment it's a day of gathering it's a day of celebration but for the folks who are in the kitchen that day it is either your super bowl or your you know oh my goodness what am i doing here today <laughs> <laughs> so we the the show was conceived as a hey call us up ask us what's going on or we'll ask you what's going on if you have something we can help with we'll help you with it um so we have over the course of history had conversations like i've got 25 people coming in i have a 20 pound turkey it is still frozen solid <laughs> what do i do <laughs> right and you know usually the answer there is uh See what the what the other folks are bringing to dinner, but uh, but we have had all kinds. Go next of, door uh, and knock on the door. Yeah. <laughs> well, Francis, I have to stop you there because you're making it sound like Turkey Confidential is the Butterball Hotline, <laughs> and you know, it, it is not. It is for me. It is one of. They're some of the most intelligent. The deepest questions about Thanksgiving. I'm one of the ones who would worry about the frozen. Frozen turkey, but some of your your listeners, I mean, they're going deep. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's what we love about it. Thank you for saying that. I mean, the, you know, the structure is a little bit like a holy cow, help me out kind of hotline. But the reality is, you know, most people have a good time. Mm-hmm. And and we get to have conversations about, you know, certainly what you're making or what you're going to make or, or, or maybe for next year if I want to be inspired with some new ideas, new dishes I haven't thought of. But a lot of times it is just a great opportunity to, to get into the homes of real people, regular people, and and see how they're celebrating. You know, that, and that's at the core of our show, both Turkey Confidential and Splendid Table in general. Yeah, we talk about food a lot. We talk about cooking a lot. Obviously, that's part. You know, that's the that's the that's what the it's the the table is is named after that. But you know, what really matters goes beyond how it tastes. You know, is it a perfect medium rare or not? What really matters is the culture behind it, the family behind the community behind it, the thought behind it. Um, And we'd love to get into all those things. Well, tell our listeners about the format of the show and about the use of the chefs. Yeah, sure. So for many years, our original host, Lynn Rosetto Casper, who founded The Splendid Table, um, you know, she is so great at taking on any cooking conundrum. She it was a it was a one lady show. So she would get on there, folks would call in live, and she would just handle everything. <laughs> when I started hosting the show, like I said, about seven years ago, I you know to be completely honest, I didn't have the confidence I could do that the way that she did. So we got the idea. Well, why don't we get me some help? And that's become a, a wonderful tradition on its own, where I always do it with guests. Sometimes they're chefs, sometimes they're cookbook authors, sometimes they're just great cooks, and we'll and we'll take on those questions together. So it's a, it's a great opportunity to have lots of different kinds of conversations. This year we have a really beloved cookbook author and blogger. I call her the Human Ray of Sunshine, Jocelyn Delk Adams. <laughs> we have Chef Kristen Kish, who um, was a winner of the show Top Chef uh, a number of seasons ago, and was this year named as the new hosts uh, of of that show. We have a dear friend of mine named Abra Behrens, who is a chef, a former farmer, and also a beloved cook author. She's amazing. And we have a terrific cook named Dan Pelosi, who's a, a bit of an internet celebrity. He has uh, social media accounts. He calls Grossi Pelosi, and he's – I love this. He calls himself an Italian meatball making meatballs. <laughs> so we have those, those four folks helping me out answering questions, and we have a blast doing it. 
Well, since we are a Mississippi show, I have to make a little Mississippi connection here, and that is that uh, Jocelyn Delk's grandmother, mm-hmm. Joyce Delk, is a trustee of Tougaloo College. It's uh, one of our HBCU colleges here in Jackson and a Tougaloo mm-hmm. alum, and I know that she has significantly influenced, influenced her granddaughter's cooking so for all the uh, Tougaloo family out there, there's a shout-out. Listen in to Jocelyn. And Jocelyn yeah, sure. uh, joined us last year at the Mississippi Book Festival here in August. So. Yeah, Malcolm, last year <clears throat> was only a couple of months ago, it seems like. like well, last year, this uh, past Actually, <laughs> Jocelyn and another one, one of your uh, colleagues, Erica Council, was on, mm-hmm. on a panel Absolutely. with her. So uh, let's talk a little bit about questions or you know what how the show rolls people call they have a question about a recipe or they want to try something different or they're seeking advice but you also you often having listened to the show in the past you share lots of cooking techniques and secrets from these chefs and yourself who have assembled there yeah for sure i mean it's fun it's fun to help puzzle through any conundrums folks have but also um you know when you when you when you get talking about the the actual act of cooking there are a million ways to do things you know and and i've actually i was trained in culinary school i used to cook in restaurants and you know i think early in your training you're so focused on getting it right you know getting it right means there's one way to do you know there's the proper way to do things and then everything else is a mistake <laughs> and i i'd like to believe that i've matured enough to know that that's not always true you know, I mean, there, there there might be a way that's the proper way to do it for, say, a French chef. That, but, like, you know, an Italian chef might think differently and a home, you know, a home cook in, in Pascagoula might do it differently. And, right. and who's to say which is the right way if it all comes out and you all love it. So something I love talking about with both our call-in listeners and our guests is well, how do you like to do something and, and, and why do you like that way of doing it? One of the things I really enjoy about it is the diversity of experience of the callers and your co-host. And when I saw uh, in 2022 that Rick Martinez was going to be, mm-hmm. you know, on the show, I thought, oh, yeah, I mean, he's a Mexican-American. And I just kind of stopped and thought about it a minute. And then listening to the show, I was so fascinated of the of the thought of an expat in Mexico. I had never really thought about what was going on in other parts of the world that Americans were gathering in other places and reinventing Thanksgiving mm-hmm. with the country they were in. And yeah. and he was fascinating to me. He used traditional Mexican preparations you know, for his turkey, and he just brought so much to the plate, but it, it it made me visualize these little communities all over the world gathering together and yeah, putting a spin sure. on it. For sure. I mean, we've had folks call in who, like a, a student on a on an abroad program, you know, really wanted to cook a, a full Thanksgiving meal for them and their friends, and you know, getting a turkey was tricky. You know, because you know, it's they were living in a place where turkey wasn't a popular meat, and you know, or, or folks who are living in places where like ovens are not a big part of the kitchen. So how do you roast a turkey without an oven? You know, it's, it is always amazing to see how 
you know, as a as a as a a child of immigrants myself, I'm always interested in how folks who have come here approach this holiday, which is such a a particularly American holiday. And we have there's so many different ways that people approach it. But then also, like you said, like folks who are who are raised in it, who are who are raised with the traditions of of Thanksgiving here, and how they bring that abroad too. Rick is an interesting example. He was. Um, from a, uh, a Mexican American family, born and raised in Texas, but really, you know, in his adult life, really wanted to reconnect with Mexican culture and cuisine and and Spanish language, and decided to move to Mexico and really immerse himself in it. Um, that was the subject of his his first cookbook called Mi Cocina. But now he lives there, and you know, it's like, but you know, he's still, as you say, Carol, like he he wanted to still make Thanksgiving. So how is he going to make a, a Thanksgiving that represented? him and his heritage and where he was and i think he, if i'm remembering right he used like a a marinade you would use for uh it was a, a chicken like, it yeah for it's for a, a chicken that he did i can't remember the name of it it's it's been a while but yeah said, a beautiful red marinade yes with, yeah with, like an adobo or, paste mm-hmm. and, yeah like an adobo marinade for the turkey and he uh, did yeah, two turkeys and everybody cleaned out that tur- <laughs> you know, that yeah. that particular Turkey, but yeah, that immigrant experience is something I know that you are so sensitive to. And tell us a little, little bit about your own immigrant experience and Thanksgiving. Yeah, sure. I mean, I you know I was born and raised in New Jersey, but my folks came from China, from Hong Kong, uh, which I guess when my mom was raised there was a British colony. Well, actually, and you know both my both my folks, uh, you know when they were living there was a British colony uh, in China. So we've always had in our home a very, you know, I would say in some ways a traditional Chinese culture, but in other ways not. You know, like, you know, when you bring a culture with you as an immigrant, there's, you know, there's things you can bring and things you sort of leave behind or things you can't really maintain. So there's always going to be like a hybrid kind of culture um, that I grew up in. But Thanksgiving was always funny in our house because I was going to school and, and, you know, obviously I knew this holiday and knew, knew all the sort of stereotypical ways that people celebrated, you know, the dishes on the table. And I'd always say to my, my mom, like, can't we have a turkey? Can't we have a turkey? And my mom's like, why do you want to eat a turkey? Like, why do you want to eat this big dry bird? Like chicken is delicious. What's wrong with chicken? Like, we love duck. Like, why do you want a turkey? You know, just like they just kind of wrap their heads around why you'd want you know, a 15 pound bird that was dry and, you know, all that stuff. Uh, and so, I, I mean, the, the, the story I like to, <laughs> I like to tell that I remember that was just so, like at the time was heartbreaking, but uh, now I think it's just so funny. It's like finally one year, my mom was like, okay, I got you Turkey. And I was like, <gasps> I was like so happy. My mom got it. You know, I wasn't gonna be the weirdo at school that didn't have Turkey on Thanksgiving and, um, you know, out comes the dinner. And I'm like, where's the turkey? And she's like, oh, it's in the oven. And, uh, you know, we bring it out. And literally she had gone to the supermarket to the deli counter and gotten a few <laughs> slices of deli turkey. <laughs> that, I was like, well, you want a turkey. This is turkey. <laughs> that is so good. I can uh, just picture little Francis <laughs> at his American school and mm. they're making – you know, turkeys out of your handprint, you know, how you draw around <laughs> yeah, yeah, your fingers exactly, and yeah. make the feathers. And then you tell the pilgrim story mm. and you come home to your Chinese family. And Where's five the slices of turkey <laughs> <Yeah>. meat. 
let it be known that my mother is a volume shopper. So I'm, there were there were plenty of slices of it. But it was... <laughs> well, Francis, when we talk about Thanksgiving here uh, in Mississippi, we end up we always end up at the same question. And so I wanted to pose it to you, and that is dressing or stuffing. <laughs> well, I know the proper answer for you is dressing. Thank uh, you. Thank you. I've never actually dug into why y'all call it dressing. I mean, a stuffing <laughs> makes sense because, you know, traditionally you stick it in the bird. It's stuffed in the bird. But, like, you don't dress the bird with the dressing. <laughs> What's we the deal? It. We serve it as a side. Uh, Sometimes it's an entree like chicken and dressing. It's a it's an entree. Have you ever had that? I have not. Okay. Well, you make basically cornbread dressing, and you add your you 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 cook a hen or a chicken, and then you put all the meat in with the dressing, and it's one dish. That's delicious. Um, yeah, it's it's beautiful. And I make a hybrid of stuffing and dressing just because I like both. But then. Uh, beyond the stuffing or dressing, you know, the real metaphysical question is, do you add oysters or not? You know, because we're, you know, we're down here. Well, actually, yeah. Well, okay. I, I like the idea of oysters in the, in the dressing or stuffing. And I know that is certainly, but I think the, the, the danger with it is an overcooked oyster, you know, get kind of like mealy and grainy. That mm. I don't really love. Mm-hmm. But like a dressing or stuffing, you wanna you wanna you really wanna bake that. I got you. So I do I do find like there's a technical sort of uh, a needle to thread there. How do you make it delicious um, with all that oyster in there? Yeah, I I, li- I love a sausage stuffing or a I sausage do too. Dressing. I I like it with bread, like wheat bread. I like it with cornbread, but I, I think sausage is is delicious there. Well, Malcolm and I have given this a lot of thought. In mm. fact, we thought about it this morning. Some some dressings have ground pork. We were looking at uh, Chef Edward Lee's dressing, cornbread dressing, and he mm-hmm. uses a really salty Virginia ham. So, yeah, you know, meat goes well in dressing, mm-hmm. spice, spicy yeah, sure. meats. But I wanted to share with you and our listeners a quote from – our good friend Tim Pierce uh, of Memphis, Tennessee, and he weighed in on the stuffing dressing debate by saying, I'm late to the conversation, but I want you to have this for future reference. In my opinion, stuffing is feathers or polyfill. It is appropriate for vest, comforters, pillows, and plush toys. <laughs> dressing is appropriate for the Thanksgiving table. So, I mean, that's kind of a southern... You know, a Southern view on dressing versus stuffing. But, of course, we could go on forever about that. <laughs> Mal- Malcolm salads? just solves it by doing both. Well, but, I, you, but, but you use dressing for salads. You know, I just think it's a little <laughs> bit of a, a linguistic quirk. Yeah. Well, we we can accept that. And uh, I'll have to spend some time figuring out. What the origin of the term is, I don't. You know, know. I think we should go this this week, Malcolm, back to John Edgerton's book and see if he has I'm something to say about it. I'm actually rereading that right as now? we speak. Okay, what's well, your job? So I'm gonna I'm gonna solve that. <laughs> so, Francis, how do you balance tradition and in, with innovation when it comes to creating Thanksgiving dishes? You know, it's sort of funny because. Uh, 
let's be honest, Thanksgiving for a lot of folks who work in food media, whether it be magazines or websites or whatever, Thanksgiving is a little bit of the dreaded, (laughs) the dreaded uh, story because, (laughs) you know, to justify your existence in the world, you need to come up with something new and exciting every year. But the fact of the matter is the vast majority of people, they just want to make what Meemaw made. You know what I mean? Like they, 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 (laughs) I don't really want you to mess too much with it so it's a little bit of a funny thing um i'm not you know not growing up with it obviously as i said i'm not so committed to having it just so a certain way every year so i don't really mind um whatever shows up on the table to be honest um but i think that balance if if for folks who who do have guests or a family who are expecting a certain thing um and really don't want that thing to change I would say give the people what they want, and then once you're sure that you've given the people what they want, <laughs> give yourself what you want too. Right. So if you know there's going to be a turkey and the turkey's got to be cooked a certain way, go ahead and do that because you don't want the main course to be the thing that people are like, I can't believe I went there and they serve you know, yeah. turkey roulade instead <laughs> of roast turkey or whatever. Right. <laughs> but you know – when you've gotten the turkey and you've gotten the dressing of the stuffing and you've gotten the potatoes and you've got all the stuff and you know, you know uh, that you need to have on the table, you can introduce more. Right. That's the other thing about Thanksgiving. It's a, it's a, it's like a, it's like the old, it's like the old rule of improv theater, right? Never right. say no, always say yes and. <laughs> I like that. that. Yeah. I like that. And it's anybody, a, it's who, a yes and moment. Who does want turkey roulade can go to the podcast of the. Turkey Confidential 2022, uh, and listen to the most fascinating recipe for a turkey roulade. So, it's it just sounded great to me. Who would have ever thought? Uh, the, the chef actually rolled out the turkey breast, pounded out the turkey breast, and it had like <laughs> dressing in it, butternut squash. Anything you wanted to add it there and rolled it up and cook it. So, I mean, that that's new world. Yeah. Really. It is. Okay, Francis, <laughs> one insider question I have always wondered about, and that is, when do writers actually have to write their Thanksgiving stories and photograph them? <laughs> they appear uh, in our mean, mailboxes mean- in October. Oh man, meaning meaning uh, like if you were writing for a magazine or if whatever. If you were writing for for a magazine, when do you work on Thanksgiving? I mean, oftentimes at this point, it's like in the summer. Um, in the in the past, when I when I used to write for Gourmet Magazine, you know, uh, rest, may it rest in peace. They had their editorial calendar. They would set it a year in advance, so it was like this Thanksgiving. You'd be thinking about you know what your recipes and and cover story would be for next thanksgiving and that that timeline has has shrunk in a bit so um but oftentimes like the like the glossy magazines they'll be working on those on those stories in september which is also funny because i've been in a test kitchen where you know in the steaming height of july and they're out there you know roasting their <laughs> yeah it, it has to be hard to think and doing their to think about this thanksgiving year's version then. of the green bean casserole or whatever and just you know just sweating well gourmet magazine of course is is, is such a great a, a great loss and we all loved it so much but it 
was so civilized that at Gourmet Magazine they would actually be working on Thanksgiving the Thanksgiving before when you mm-hmm. were in the mode. You got the spirit, you know? Right. Yes, make sure you do tune in to Turkey Confidential, hosted by Francis Lamb, coming up on this Thursday, Thanksgiving morning, starting at 9 a.m. I'm Java Chapman, and earlier in the show, you heard a conversation with Malcolm White and Carol Palmer as they talk with host Francis Lamb, host of Splendid Table and Turkey Confidential, which will be airing this Thursday, Thanksgiving morning at 9 a.m. Now, before we let Francis go, he had to tell us about some of his favorite cookbooks of the season. Francis, with the holiday season coming up, what tips can you give us about cookbooks? What's on your list this year or some of your favorites? Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, this is self-interested because I do work for a cookbook publisher, but cookbooks make great holiday gifts. (laughs) And I would say, you know, um, putting on my other hat for a moment, as the host of The Splendid Table, we always do a... A fall cookbook roundup kind of episode. We don't we we don't have that much room to feature so many books, but we like to highlight some of the books we're interested in, we're excited about. Um, and on that episode, we had we got to feature a really wonderful, um, really respected, longtime food um, food writer, recipe developer named Samantha Senevaratna. She has this really wonderful new book called Bake Smart, which is really terrific. Um, baked goods, desserts. But what's really cool about it is she has all these little notes in the book of like tips and tricks. And if you're looking at this, what's, what's, should, what should it look like? Or if you want to, you know, if you want to do this for a crowd, how do you, how do you switch it up? So it just feels like she's, he's, she's baking in the kitchen there with you. Um, another book we feature on that episode is by a restaurateur named Rose Previtt. She has a book called Maidan, which sort of tells the story of how she became interested in food um, while living in Russia for a number of years, but really fell in love with um, the food of the Republic of Georgia and all over the Middle East. Um, uh, an author that is actually on our list um, is John Kung, who's just this really thoughtful Chinese-American um, chef who has a, a terrific social media presence. He talks a lot about the, what he calls his food third culture cooking, which is you know, not traditional Chinese cooking, and, but it's influenced by him growing up in North America, and what emerges from that is a third culture. So it's really cool. He has something he calls like Hong Kong chicken and waffles, for instance, which is fried chicken with this, these like traditional Hong Kong kind of bubble waffles um, that's like spiced and sweet, and you know it's got like a, a spicy honey on it, a spicy maple syrup on it. So those are terrific. Um, and you know, for a Mississippi reader, you might be interested in. Jocelyn Delk Adams. She has a book called Everyday Grand, and her grandmother is um, is a native Mississippian and um, a real leader in the Jackson community. Erica Council, who, who is one of my authors and a really amazing, amazing baker out of Atlanta, has a book called Still We Rise. That's all about her way with biscuits, and she makes a mean biscuit. And coming out this fall as well is uh, by my dear friend uh, and hero. Tony Tipton Martin. She's really uh, best known for her work in called uh, the Jemima Code and Jubilee. Her, she, her, all her books are about um, really the history of African American cooking as told through 
the history of African-American cookbook publishing. She has like the most amazing library of black cookbooks. And so she derives all her recipes from those books. And she has a new book called Juke Joints, Jazz Clubs and Juice, which is um, basically a history of African-American drinks and cocktails. So those are some books I'm really excited about and hope your listeners are too. And that was Francis Lamb, host of Splendid Table and this Thanksgiving morning's Turkey Confidential, which you can hear right here on MPB Think Radio starting at 9 a.m. We thank everyone for tuning in to Deep South Dining on this Monday morning and wishing you and yours a happy Thanksgiving. Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Think Radio, funded by generous contributions from listeners like you. Our show was produced by yours truly, Java Chapman, and for my host, Carol Palmer and Malcolm White. Stay tuned for your talking. Now you're talking with Marsha Ramsey, Southern Remedy at 11. And join us next Monday for more Deep South Dining, heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.